another epic episode of Hero Paranormal Podcast, the hyper-anomalous esoteric research organization podcast, Hero Paranormal, has one coming in hot for you today, broadcasting from the base at La Madre Mountain, just south of Area 51. My name is Ryan, the anomalous ambassador of the airwaves, bringing you an enlightening episode today. On today's podcast, we have Dave from the Generation Z podcast, one of my favorite content creators out there. Generation Z podcast discusses all things politics, science, entertainment, conspiracy, even paranormal. If it has to do with government, UFOs, science, politics, or conspiracy theories, Chances are Dave from Generation Z has covered it. Dave is an extremely knowledgeable and humble host whose analysis and research very recently into optical camouflage and DIRDs, defense intelligence research documents, as many of you know, I recently tackled. Something similar, the invisibility suit concept, and spoke with the author Robert Guffey of the book Camellio which was named from the project, Camellio. The synchronistic fact that we are both researching very similar topics around the same time got me extremely excited to discuss other conspiratorial topics with Dave, because it's been a long time that I've wanted to talk to him. Not only do I highly value his research and opinions on these issues, but he has a very good grassroots organic method which speaks to me of his controlled observation and intuitive ability to cut right to the chase when it comes to many of these topics. A brilliant podcaster pontificating from a parallel perspective, symmetrically aligned with my own. David Zed is a wonderful example of the evolution of the art of podcasting and is an essential voice on humanity's ride towards the final world order. We are currently experiencing. These are weird times. Reality of high strangeness, phenomena coupled with our unscripted plunge into a very grim global possible endgame makes this the time to know thyself and to speak with those who have similar personal philosophies. And that makes this episode all the more purposeful and important. I couldn't be more excited to welcome our guest, Dave. Welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast. 
All right, so for everyone on Mr. Burns' side, I know that he's already done uh, an intro, which I'm, I haven't seen yet, but I'm super appreciative of you regardless, um, introducing me to his audience. But for my audience, I would like to introduce the one and only Ryan Burns. Ryan is the uh, founder and owner of SpaceWolfResearch.com, as well as HeroParanormal.com. Not only that, but Ryan also has a, um, a piece of property that touches uh, Skinwalker Ranch, if you will. So without further ado, um, I take it this is probably going to be a swap cast where this goes on both ends of our uh, audience's um, shows respectively. But Ryan, brother, thank you so very much for coming on. Thank you so much for, for um, actually initiating the swap cast. And how's everything on your side going? Can't complain. Just enjoying the journey as we plummet towards a final world order here. Everything is good. Right, right. Well, I, if I may... Um, if I may ask, start with a couple questions, I think on behalf of my audience, they'd be very interested to, to know. So could you lay out for us your, um, I guess you could say your base setup uh, on your property that are touching the Skinwalker Ranch um, relative to not just what equipment you have there, but if there has been anything, um, not just out of the ordinary, but for lack of a better term, paranormal. That's kind of been like, okay, we can't explain that in any quantifiable data-driven way. Yeah, it it has been quite the ride. I uh, first came across the area back in the late 90s, had an experience we can get into later that changed my life. And I just sort of intuitively knew that I had to get to the bottom or at least try to figure out something uh, from that experience and the reality of wanting to be in the area became very pressing and uh, came to the forefront of my mind and I ended up quitting my job, renting my house and moving to the Uinta Basin full-time to research full-time and while I was up there it was always my dream to have a place right next to what, what I like to call the epicenter of activity. However, uh, friends and family all warned against this. And I, and I at first, I uh, operated a bed and breakfast known as the Strawberry River Bed and Breakfast, um, which is a short drive from this epicenter. But as time went on, I moved towards the epicenter, found some property that was adjacent uh, to the south boundary of what's commonly known as the Bigelow Ranch or the Utah UFO Ranch, and essentially then had a place right there at Ground Zero and um, have recently added some more acreage to that. But the objective has always sort of been to figure out what it is we are exactly dealing with. You know, the real truth remains to be found. And it's, it's, it's interesting work because connecting the dots can be very trying at times when you have things in the sky, things on the ground, things seemingly underground, tantalizing uh, government connections, um, somewhat possibly extraterrestrial or at least non-human uh, technologies that can be viewed and discovering that all these subjects sort of merge together in this uh, wild unseen realm from time to time. And there could even be some uh, some portal like activity taking place, which is which is very tantalizing to me. So things are not always what they appear, but they do appear to all be happening in some of the same places. Would, would you say, Ryan, uh, has any, if you could comment on this, has anyone on or off the record 
from the military intelligence, anyone from the academic community reached out to you or have you reached out to them with respects to trying to understand more of perhaps certain phenomena or particular details that are reoccurring patterns on your piece of property or close to your property and things like this? And if so, if, if you could say, have you received any responses from such individuals? Indeed, I have. Unfortunately, I can't go into too much detail about those uh, communications or coordinations or cooperations because of uh, non-disclosure agreements. But yes. Sure. Okay. So, and and if um, if you can go this far, and if you can't, no problem. Are have you? Um, spoken to people who, in your opinion, would be in the position to know in a very serious data-driven manner, um, at least have a better idea of what's going on there um, than others? Yes, I think that there, we're, we're in a predicament because there's a very intentional, and this is, much of this has been declassified due to the last regime that was currently in control there, and uh, some of the connections to the Department of Defense. But the truth is, yes, there is a lot of secrecy, um, a lot of things that I believe will be revealed. But at the moment, it's, it's quite the predicament because coming into it as a civilian or an outsider, uh, I'm not a career government type, these, uh, well, defense intelligence research types are very connected with those, as you said, uh, in academics, uh, the aerospace industries, um, and they have a lot of friends that just need to make one call, th those type of people uh, that ha have a completely different reality than my reality. So, I, I try to be objective and truthful when I'm discussing things with them. And um, I think a lot of us have similar goals in mind. It's just analyzing how to go about melding some of these relationships in a way where where it's fruitful for everybody, right? Right, exactly. So now with that said, if I could, if I could pick your brain on, on one last thing here uh, pertaining to this, which is, um, it could, it, forgive me if this is a multi-pronged question, but when you look, for example, at the way in which um, we see the, um, I guess you could say the, the different effects that seem to be, at least people have spoken on with respects to the property and, and, and the ranch and things around the ranch and near the ranch. Do you find that this perhaps is a, um, for lack of a better term, a living, self-aware type of energy or conduit, or it's more so a multitude of energies, separate energies, potential entities, if you will, um, and I ask this because when we look, for example, at people like Mr. Uh, Niels Bohr, let's say, or we look at people like, um, uh, even if we go all the way back to even the, the mid to late 1800s uh, with respect to uh, academia, there seemed to be um, a, an understanding amongst a, sel a select few that what we now call quantum physics, which seems to entail a lot of um, intertwining in, into what occurs on the ranch and the phenomena behind it, is comprised up of, uh, I guess we could say, Things, if you will, or information structures that we 
relative to what we know in this reality would not consider real, tangible, physical, you name it. So do you find that there may be energies as far sourced back as to something non-tangible attempting to depict a tangible message? That is a great question. And I like the way you asked it because it's exciting. There does seem to be a reality of the high strangeness and the phenomena that seems to couple with our reality. And it it does seem as if it, it's a problem of semantics. Um, many have called it different things. Uh, it does appear that the area is somewhat alive, so to speak, or that it has an intelligence, um, especially when it's dark. And a, a brilliant way to put it is that it is non-corporeal for the most part. However, intelligent um, seems to be precognitive in that it can be aware of what the observer is thinking or what path the observer is going down before it actually displays itself to the quote-unquote observer. And as is usually the case, angles come into play quite heavily. So you can have different individuals in different locations fairly close to each other, and all of them can see the same thing, different things, or many times different angles of something that is hard to describe. So triangulation is super important when it comes to perspective uh, from an observer's point of view. And it does seem that one of the essential values of this precognitive sentient intelligence is to manifest itself in a way that is tangible and uh, emotionally palatable by the observer. So it's, it's very, very interesting when time and time again, you end up with similar scenarios that really don't make sense. A researcher named Frank Salisbury wrote a very interesting book called uh, The Utah UFO Display, where he kind of goes into detail, cutting right to the chase of this exact question. And he, he was a spiritual gentleman, uh, and he believed that this identified that in individuals, and oftentimes the phenomena would display itself to observers through methods that they were familiar with. So uh, it may seem angelic to some, demonic to others, all depending upon the synchronistic way it engages with the individual. I... I want to thank you for bringing it up and explaining it in that regard, because I recently had a conversation with someone uh, quite, uh, in my opinion, intelligent and interesting, and we touched upon this, this idea of perhaps, and I'm not saying this is the term, but maybe one of a, a, a plethora of terms to describe this, pan-biopsychicism, this idea that, for example, if one views, and I'm, I'm, this is a coincidence here relative to the quantum field, but if one were to view an event in, as, a, as a circle or a ring, you can then see the different points around that outline of the radius of that circle to then be dragged to someone who's experiencing the circle in a line, rather, except that when they experience it in a line, they're now seeing it in what we call time and chronological time order. So I find that I, find, I thank you so much for, for 
responding in that in that regard pertaining to that because this a whole idea that we discuss as well on our side of the show especially on our on our member side uh, discussing the idea of um uh, one could make the argument that wherever you look is a 90 degree right angle one cannot i guess you could say escape that if you will now i'm not trying to deliberately allude to the whole simulation concept but it seems as though that whatever this energy is including the one at your property or close to your property um it seems to harness that as well do you do you find that to be the case this idea of harnessing pan biopsychicism to cater to the information structure of a, of a particular sovereign you could say spiritual being such as us that then interprets those information structures accordingly based on that particular individual's experience so different you could say um modalities of of interpretation yeah i think that the observer effect in quantum mechanics if we're looking at this quantumly is super important and to give you a quick uh example on a recent trip to the property i was at space wolf research and i decided to take my mother which was <laughs> probably uh, putting my guard down a little too much. And um, we had a great time. The reality of what happened, there was a lot of strange events that took place, a lot of trickery, if you want to call it that, or confusing, um, e extravagant displays of confusion. And uh, interesting- If I could clarify, in an optical sense? Yes, both optical and physical. So uh, optically, the most pronounced display optically was one evening um, I was a awakened by what sounded like the car doors outside of the uh, base camp closing and opening and I thought well maybe maybe this has happened before so it's not a, it, it, you know it kind of uses the same playbook from time to time this this trickster like mentality just trying to engage I believe is what the phenomena is doing get your attention and uh, it sounded like my car doors were opening and closing. So I got up, I put my boots on, I went to the door, I looked outside and I saw what looked like swirling lights going around the car. So I opened the door, I went outside. My mom was just mustering at this moment, getting up. And I said, it, it sounds like there's might be some people out here going around my vehicle. I'm just going out to check. And she... Uh, slowly got up. I was, I went outside, was very quiet. I heard absolutely nothing, no footprints, no footsteps, nothing, no sounds whatsoever. There were no lights going around the car. And then a moment later, there was a beam coming from, uh, an undescript point, again, using the angular formation of another structure, a beam coming sure. down around this structure and, uh, a circular, place it was hitting the ground that must have been oh i don't know six to eight feet wide and i started to go towards this beam of light because i thought maybe it's a flashlight maybe they're just around this other structure when i went out near the beam it turned off so the kind of that enticing you in you know bringing you in like a fisherman now it keeps casting these light displays bringing you closer to it further from your secure location and i i i was very intrigued i went out i stood where the beam was and i was looking where the light could have manifested from and again the light came back 
and it, this time it was around another angle of the same structure. Again, using breaks in the environment or the surroundings to hide itself yet display itself just inches away from you in the form of light. And uh, very Travis Walton, you know, like the cover of Fire in the Sky, this beam coming from an undescript point, uh, a place you could not see, yet it's landing right next to you. And so I, I finally just stood right in the beam. And I noticed quickly that I could not cast a shadow on the ground when I was standing in this beam. By now, my mother had woken up fully. She had gone out, looked at the car. She initially thought I was in the vehicle because there were strange lights coming on on the dash, she said. Lights that were not the color of any of the equipment in the vehicle. And as she thought I was in the vehicle, she got right up close to it and realized, looking through the wind windows, that I was not in the vehicle. And that's when she realized that I was over in the beam of light to the right, which she had not noticed before. And when she saw me, she said, oh my gosh, Ryan. And I said, yeah, come over here. This is really cool. Get in here with me. This is, check this out. I can't cast a shadow. And she came over and I showed her just how ironic it was that this beam was so bright. You could not cast a shadow on the ground, no matter how low to the ground you got. Um, there was the perspective of the light seemed to come from an undescript point of origin. So it again turned on and off a few times while we were out there and you could never quite see where it was coming from, but it would angle out and then land next to you. So just very strange from a perspective point of view. So that, that would be, from a visual perspective, probably the most dynamic display visually. Do you find any, um, speaking to people, again, I know you obviously can't get into it, totally understand, but speaking to people more so in this regard in academia, do you find there to be with respects to optics and um, perception and physics, particularly at the quantum level or in the quantum field, there to be more prominence or significance pertaining to uh, that shadow phenomena, other than it just being, oh, look, look, um, uh, you know, look, mom, or look, friends, or what have you, I, I look, there's no shadow in this particular area. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes, it, it's very, the, the light seems to be very uh, influential and tactical, uh, the way that it is interacting with the observer. Uh, it can not be, for example, um, documented. We tried to take pictures with very technologically advanced cameras we had. There was no gathering the light on film, on camera, no digital means, yet it was bright, it was very visible uh, compared to the dark background. Um, it seemed controlled. Okay, so with that said, with would you go as far, and please tell me if I'm taking too much of a leap here, would you go as far as to say that in the vicinity and in, within the context of the moment of you being there, whether with your friends or with your mother, you name it, the, the energy that was there, whether coming from one source, multiple, you name it, whether it's a local or non-local source, did you find that this energy in one form or another, whether evidential or not, seemed to deliberately avoid those cameras and that equipment? Absolutely. Yes, it does seem as if it is some sort of alien, at least from a human perspective, artificial intelligence. So it, it, it almost algorithmic, algorithmically does a wonderful job of avoiding particular uh, cameras. Um, these cameras that 
were actually on the structure where we were doing all this. We checked them afterwards and we could see ourselves. We could see slight changes in the backgrounds. The light, however, was invisible. And each time that this angular cone of light or beam of light would manifest and come from this point that could not be seen because it was always around an angle, always around a corner. And it, it just always seemed to do so in an alternative way where it would not be captured by the cameras. So yeah, the real truth remains. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to catch. Almost as if it's using what's called um, um, the harness, <clears throat> excuse me, the harnessing of, of angular momentum, I believe, as it's been called in, uh, in the academic field of relative to, to you could say, um, uh, the Cooper, Cooper pairs, lattice ion things and things like this having to do with, um, with, I guess you could say, the nature of the reality we're within, uh, which then takes me to my next question and, and final question um, with respect to... Uh, I believe it's, I'm not sure if he was a philosopher or, anyways, Vygotsky or Vygotsky. Uh, forgive me to the audience on both uh, Ryan's side and my end if I'm butchering the gentleman's name, but this, this idea that Mr. Vygotsky coined the zone of proximal development, where we have three rings, concentric circles. The center smallest ring is what the learner can do on their own. The middle ring is what the learner can do, but with the, uh, external assistance. And the third outermost ring is what the learner cannot do even with assistance. Do you find that in your personal experiences, uh, Ryan, from um, what you've researched, experienced, and all of that, that this phenomena, at least the one within the context of, of your studies and research, has, sort of resides in that middle ring, if you will? Yeah, I think it's... It, we start entering theoretical physics and quantum mechanics at some point because from the observational perspective as we, we can only see so much of the spectrum right and um, as an observer whenever I'm experimenting with this and someone else is watching it seems like the frame of reference uh, from one observer is not enough to grasp what's taking place you really need at least two or three observers to be witnessing the phenomenon and it it brings me back to um you know why photons behave differently when observed very similar to the uh, double slit um, experiment phenomenon where i i highly value a, a lot of research out there because there do seem to be essential energies that we are unaware or at least from our human range of vision cannot see completely so the, the more eyes you have on the prize the better so to speak i i couldn't agree with you more um <clears throat> almost as if the um the equipment we have and i'm just speculating here uh, and i don't mean to sound conspiratorial but almost as if the equipment we have on a consumer level perhaps even commercial has been designed so that it does not capture a particular perhaps part of a, a hypothetical spectrum let's say that perhaps say maybe military or other devices could in fact pick up if you will that's a really good point because uh we i was noticing that with even even the highest grade thermal optics we were having trouble uh capturing certain possible phenomena and when i had someone in florida actually build to the specs of the uh 
what, what was used by the National Institute of Discovery Sciences back in the day, and uh, they were commonly known as NIDs, they had very, very exact hertz that they would uh, use as far as a wavelength on these thermal cameras that they were using. And when this basically kind of going backwards in technology, but trying to keep that, you know, infinite focus and things like of that nature. When I commissioned um, a unit be built out of this guy's garage, basically, uh, he, he's a genius. But when he did this, it aligned with what we thought we were seeing and we were able to actually see what we thought we were seeing. So I, I think you have a point when it comes to technology. Got you. Got you. Well, brother, I want to, on, on, for my end of things, um, I mean, we, we can keep going and going and going, but I just want to thank you so much for, um, for, for answering these questions. I've been meaning to ask you them for, for months at this point now, and when you reached out saying that uh, you, you wanted to have this, this conversation, this, this swap cast, I was extremely excited. Um, and yeah, man, I'm not sure if there's anything on your end you wanted to bring up, if, if so and or if not, no problem. But um, for the audience, we're, we're basically free-flowing it, and... Um, so far, I think it's been great, a great time. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of questions of things that have just been bothering me a little bit. And I don't know sure, if you've, sure. you've looked into them. One is, it's a little dated at this point, but the uh, Georgia Guidestones and their demolition and or divine demolition. Um, I know that you've probably researched that a bit and have uh, some functional views of that. What are your thoughts of what may have taken place? With the um, the establishment of it or the destruction of it? Yeah, the destruction. I think the establishment's amazing. You know, obviously that location in Georgia um, and its secret secrecy and how it's been. Uh, well, its ability to withstand at least I believe it was created in 1980. I believe so. It stood the test of time at least for a little bit of time, but it becomes very strange with the destruction of it and that peculiarly, in in my opinion. It's difficult to know whether this was destroyed, uh, whether it was an act of divine providence, or whether it was actually the ones who created it, essentially quieting that message because of this possible um, Armageddon-like situation that we may be essentially delving into with a global reset. Sure, absolutely. So, um, on my end of things, I've I've been very focused lately on the I guess you could say the uh, the physics, the the engineering, the ontological, philosophical perspectives of of the phenomena overall, and what that entails, and what that could entail, and mean, and all of that. And one thing that I found is that my research has always led, and this is just I could be wrong for for Ryan's audience, just my personal uh, perspective. My research has always led me back to this idea of what I brought up earlier about Niels Bohr discussing that what we call uh, quantum physics is is in fact comprised of things that we would consider not to be real per se in a tangible sense. And the reason I bring that up is because this. Um, it seems to keep resorting back to, and I, I hate to throw around the word quantum so often without describing what it, you know, what it means and all of that, sort of like how people say we have to raise our consciousness. It's like, okay, well, that only takes you so far until it's like, what's the next step, if you will? So th the reason I, I bring all this up is because when I look at, for example, the Georgia Guidestones, and I look, for example, in academia with the, um, the, the academic papers that I've been looking into and things like this, uh, if... 
if one takes an academic paper uh, in chemistry, optics, physics, you name it, and one were to say, okay, well, if we got a team of engineers under an NDA in a laboratory or a warehouse, rather, to scale up in a fractal sense, which quantum physics seems to entail, what that particular academic paper described, would we have a situation where we would have a technology that could, in fact, destroy the Georgia Guidestones in the sense of not just a direct energy weapon, whether it was a bomb or a DW, um, is, is not really my concern, but ultimately who is behind the control room calling the shots, if you will, within that particular moment that the Guidestones got destroyed and why. Now, my whole thing is, okay, if we, <clears throat> for a moment, liken the, <clears throat> sorry, if we make the connection to this idea that there are different um, uh or rather the ideological subscription that there are different groups, if you will, sort of like a, a mafia family, but within that family there are different groups with different interests, friendships, uh, opportunists, you name it. It then makes me think, okay, who or what has gone behind the control room to A, establish the Guidestones in the 80s, and, and or B, to destroy them, and for what purpose, to what extent? I'm, I'm of the humble opinion that what we're seeing with respect to the destruction of not just the Guidestones, but even cer uh, certain, um, uh, we could say, weather events and all that may, I, I say this carefully, may not be as natural as we may think. And so the question for me becomes then, if, if, if the case, to what extent behind the scenes does that technology allow um, the, the enablement of these different factions to gain and lose power? So in plain English... I think what we're seeing potentially through actions and things like, and perhaps even the Georgia Guidestones being destroyed, for better or worse, I'm not sure. I think what we're witnessing is a strategic chess game behind the scenes. And I, I could be very wrong, but that's where my mind goes when I look at something like that. Yeah, it, it seems like if there is some sort of uh, slaughter of the innocents, and we do have an Armageddon-type scenario, which I guess the Georgia Guidestones were theoretically placed to help people afterwards uh, to, you know, these are a good set of rules to rebuild society. Those people would obviously wonder who put this up and they must be to blame for what happened. However, if it's not there, I mean, what a brilliant plan to get rid of it, of course. And I, right. <laughs> It's just interesting ideology. So I, I, I like that. And I mean, I kind of liked them. I thought they were cool and interesting and I wanted to visit them. And and unfortunately, there's something that is no longer there. So that's kind of an example of the evolution of how these conspiracy theories get more interesting over time sometimes with random events. Did you hear about this gentleman? Oh, I can never remember his name. He's actually a famous, a famous guy who was under a pseudonym saying that, oh, if I could destroy these, I would. And when they found out who he was and they've, I think it was Mick, I believe his name was. Anyway, they found the guy and he was like, oh, well, I didn't mean that way. I would never destroy them that way. So that's interesting. Um, the other quick, uh, I, something that actually just came on my radar today about a possible tunnel system and maglev technology taking place underground I'm, and I know we both recently tackled the invisibility suit concept, which is very strange and synchronistic. And I, I thought that was interesting. But to what lengths do you think some of these projects go to hide, you know, their reality? Oh, I think I think 
I think it depends on the context of, of, of the interest of that given project. I think irregardless, there is absolutely not just a hidden but obfuscational component, whether it's in the, 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 on the front end of things or, I mean, look, let, let's face it, man, I think we can go as, as far as to say that we see, for example, certain administrations, albeit not recently, well, I'm going to leave modern politics out of it for now because of the so much tension and what have you, but we see you know, the Iran-Contra situation under the Reagan era, uh, Reagan administration. We see that, for example, there's been hyper-speculation in all of this, that a lot of that, that dirty money, if you will, perhaps went to the Department of Defense, which just so happens to have a major accounting ish- issue, I say that with air quotes, which may in fact be what has led to the, um, you could say, the now-coined legacy program efforts. So... I think ultimately there's always a bit of, um, and I don't. There, I, I want to point out as, as, a, as a friend, a good friend once said to me uh, a couple months back, there's a difference between justification and rationalization. I don't mean to justify the actions here in, in the sense of, okay, well, you know, it's all about perspective, so it's just how you view it. Um, and, and what I mean by that is one could say, well, they're using um, allegedly dirty money, uh, make of that as you will, to fund these programs, does that make the program itself dirty, evil, wrong, you name it? And is, does that make the program itself dirty, evil, wrong on another level uh, because it's not being uh, disclosed to the taxpayer? I don't claim to have the answers, man, but I, I think, unfortunately, I think these programs have, still do, and, continue, and these forms of... Um, you could say uh, human manipulation, whether on a social level, anthropological level, business level, psychological level, I think they have and still continue to operate to this day um, in, in, in that regard. So hopefully that, that answers your question. I, ultimately, I would say, in short, yes. There, there's too much. Um, for me, it's not so much the, the evidence of, abs- of absence, but the, deliv- the deliberate for me, sorry, it's not the absence of evidence. It's the deliberate evidence of what seems to be obfuscational absence, which shows, at least tells me, and I'm only one person interpreting it in one angle or in one regard or in one way, but it tells me that there's a lot more going on there because that, that whole effort of even attempting to initiate a, a cover-up, psyop, obfuscational a statement to the public, you name it, would not have even had to have started if there was nothing to hide. Completely. Completely. Now, now, if I may play devil's advocate very quickly, one could say if this is some grand paranoia, paranoia-based intelligence operation, it's possible something was started just to give the illusion of this of dialogues like the one we're having now to further, but I don't see what the end game for that would be. That's that's where I always get caught on the disinformation hook. Exactly. Brilliant answer. No, I think I highly value that and uh, appreciate that. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything too much more other than uh, quickly the Artemis rocket. Do you have any thoughts on that recent? I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, um, I wish I could more so for, for my audience and your audience could elaborate on that. I am still in the process of trying to break down different and various forms of interpretations of and actions of what could have occurred there to tell you the truth so i don't want to um i'd love to to tell you the truth i'd love to come back on to do another you know a, a swap cast appearance you name it when i finally have a a verdict on my end but i um i don't want to say anything premature because i at this point i don't know so i don't want to just yap away 
no, that speaks to me because I'm in the same boat. I need to do more research into it. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you are, uh, you're involved and interested in a lot of these topics as well. And I'd love to discuss them again. I just appreciate you chatting with me. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. It's been an honor and I really appreciate it. And, and thank you so much to both my audience on, on uh, my end and, of course, to Ryan's audience as well. Um, I think we agreed synchronistically. We'll put this up for about a week on our mem- for both of our members' uh, uh, sides respectively, and then we'll, we'll take it public. So please, uh, Ryan, if you want to let everyone know on my end where and how you could be found before we, uh, we wrap this up. Of course, uh, you can find Hero Paranormal on YouTube and HeroParanormal.com is uh, where you can get it on Podbean. It's also Hero Paranormal on Patreon. It stands for the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization podcast, but Hero for short. And although there's not too much ever on the Space Wolf Research website, you can find it on social media where we do data dumps every now and again or drop images. And that is spacewolfresearch.com. Or you can find us on, uh, let's see, TikTok, Facebook, and some of the others. And um, could you also tell our listeners where they can find you? I know they're very interested. Sure. Thank you so much. Patreon.com slash Generation Z is where we do the vast majority of our content now. And, and um, I will say as well that we do, um, we have a website coming up shortly, but we also use uh, Dropbox shareable links on the Patreon for the more, uh, you know, I guess you could say censorship, del- uh, censor delicate based topics. Um, so that's Patreon.com slash Generation Z, as well as at Podcast Z on Twitter. Um, also, Generation Z podcast, no spaces, no capitals on Instagram, and of course, Generation Z ZED podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. Um, we're all there, so I, I can't thank you enough uh, as always, man. Truly. Yeah, keep rocking the awesome perspectives and philosophies, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Great viewpoints, great perspectives. What an example of the evolution of the art of podcasting. He's somebody everybody should definitely check out. I know I check him out all the time. I like the way he speaks with his guests, and he always brings it to the line. He, he goes as far as he can with any of the subjects that he covers. So definitely check out Generation Z Podcast. Definitely a project that's at the top of my list, and I'm just so happy we got to talk to him, and I hope I get to talk to him again. Also, if you have not subscribed to our Patreon, check us out on Patreon. It's a place we have a bunch more content. You can also go to HeroParanormal.com. We have a bunch of free content there as well as more behind the paid wall. And definitely subscribe on YouTube and or Anchor to Hero Paranormal. Follow us on social media at Hero Paranormal on Instagram and Hero Paranormal on Facebook. We need those likes on social media. It definitely helps because they're definitely trying to shadow ban us, and we just kind of want the uh, censorship to stop. Help me out, and like and subscribe, guys. Thanks again. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. Come blast off in my 
my time machine. Third eye feeling like an evizine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like an evizine. Blast off, blast off.